you have your Bibles, go with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 will be in verse 15 and 16 this morning. 15 and 16. I think this is like week 58 in the book of Ephesians. 50, yeah, 58, something like that. Rusty ran an average of sermon length for the, since January. Mine has been 70 minutes is the average. So, for me, if Rusty's was 68, 67, okay, sorry, 67 minutes. <laughs> that, is, that is a precious minute. So, uh, if you're new, uh, we're in for the long run today, uh, long haul, I should say. Uh, I encourage you, uh, should be a bulletin out there to help you kind of follow along. Uh, nothing fancy, we're just going to walk through the text, we'll explain it, apply it, probably get a little bit excited here and there, and, uh, and we'll see what God do, what God will do. So let's read. Um, I'm going to do my best to kind of um, draw a few things together coming into this text, um, just even for all of our sakes, so that we, again, understand the context. Um, and as I was talking to a pastor friend of mine this past week, who preaches very similarly, there's a lot of stuff prior to these verses that I'm just going to have to assume this morning. I'm not going to be able to rehash all of those things, even for all of our sakes this morning. So let's read verse 15 and 16, and then we'll go. Paul says this, Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. And let's pray again. Father, as we study your word this morning, may... May my words fall to the side and be burned and never remembered. But Father, may your words, what, what I speak today, that accurately represent you and your text and your words to us, may those be forever burned onto our hearts and minds, never to forget. For your glory, and it's in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so here we go. Let me catch us up here for the next few moments to where we're at here in verse 15. <clears throat> In the preceding paragraphs, Paul has talked about the idea of walking. As this, this idea of walking is to contrast, his, his use of this is to contrast the lifestyle of those who are in Christ and those who are not. Remember how we talked about that, that the New Testament's description of believers is usually and most commonly talked about as those who are in Christ versus those who are not in Christ. They don't tend to call them Christians, we call them necessarily followers or believers, but those who are in Christ. And so what Paul is saying is that this is the lifestyle of those who are in Christ versus the lifestyle of those who are not. Now, what's going to happen is Paul's going to actually use this idea of walking for the last time in this passage. Or in this, in this passage for the last time in this book. And Paul has been spelling out for us what it means to live 
hear, hear me here, because of the eternal plan of God. Now, to, I, I can't rehash what all the eternal plan of God is. That's covered particularly in chapters 1, 2, and 3. But he's talking about how do we live now in light of this plan of God. It's not just you're Christians to go now live this way. No, we're living this way in light of something else because of something else. And empowered, if you will, because of something else. So he's been telling us basically this, what the ethical implications are of God's eternal plan. What's it mean for us to live in light of God's eternal plan? And the topic sentence so far, at least in this general area that we're in right now, is this. He says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Now again, this is all based upon the idea of Paul talking to those who are truly in Christ. So if I ever, if you hear me today, I refer to we, like those, what I'm saying is those who are truly in Christ. Christ. I'm not saying those who are members of Renovation Church. I'm saying those who are in Christ, whether you're a member or not. That's who Paul is talking to, those who are in Christ. So those who are in Christ are those who have received the calling that he expounds upon in chapters 1, 2, and 3. So followers of Jesus are encouraged to walk, and they're encouraged to walk in a particular way. And we most generally refer to this as a way of holiness. That yeah, there are standards, that there is a way of life for Christians. It's not just a, we get to kind of do whatever we want and then we can claim grace and then we're good to go. No, there's, there's actually, indeed, the very part, if we actually, I, w- I was reading this last night, uh, a little booklet on repentance by Sinclair Ferguson. And if we actually understand salvation and repentance, then we would see why change and growth and sanctification is necessarily a part of salvation. I'm not saying we earn our salvation, but that the fruit of our salvation is the sanctification, that they they are necessarily connected. They cannot be one without the other. You cannot have Jesus as Savior unless He is your Lord. That's, that's a false dichotomy. It's not even theologically or biblically possible. So you will walk in holiness. Now this is going to look different for different people at different stages of life. But what he's talking about is that followers of Jesus are encouraged to not fall back into the patterns of thinking and the patterns of behavior and particularly to the Ephesians, he's saying the patterns of thinking and behavior of their former Gentile ways. The ways that they lived without God. And followers of Jesus are encouraged to walk in love. But not just a love that you and I can just define however we want to, right? This is a love defined specifically by the Scriptures in a very specific way. And this idea of walking in love explains what it is to what is involved in being imitators of God. And finally, that brings us up to here. We are admonished at this point to live in a way that is wise and not unwise and understanding what the Lord's will is and being filled with the Spirit. I just gave you kind of the outline for the next three weeks. Walking is wise and not unwise, understanding what the Lord's will is, and being filled with the Spirit. Now this section that we're in right now for these next couple weeks 
is kind of like the climax of chapters 4, 5, and 6. Kind of a, a summary climax. This section describes what it looks like to live a life worthy of the calling you have received, and it explains that kind of in summary form. And this idea of living as wise people is akin to the idea of living a life of love from back in verse 2 of chapter 5. And it's also akin to walking as children of light, which is verse 8. As those whom God has lavished His grace and wisdom upon, we are now urged to live consistently with this. Live in a way that measures up with that, 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 that shows that to be a reality. And namely, the way he's describing this way of living consistently with the grace and wisdom that's been lavished upon us. Again, you have to go back to chapters uh, 1, 2, and 3 to, to define that. He says that namely, this looks like living as those who are wise. Listen to the contrast. The pagan Gentiles lived in ways that were unwise and whose thinking is futile and whose understanding is darkened. Go back and read chapter 4, verse 17 and 18. This is what it's contrasted against. And the contrast, again, is continued. You have the behavior of the people of God and the behavior of those who are not the people of God. Now, here I would propose to you one of our biggest problems has been in the broader church, particularly in the West or in America, is this. Our problem is that our description of light and dark has been legalistic and pathetic. Light has been defined for years as going to church, not drinking alcohol, not cussing, no adultery, and you should stay away from R-rated movies. Now, not that those are maybe good or things that we need to pay attention to, but being the light is way more than just a little checklist that makes you look better than everybody else. We've defined darkness as just simply doing these things that, you know, that's what non-church people do. But, but I want to present to you that that, I mean, there's lots more we can say about that, but what is the text saying about what does walking in the light look like? What does it look like to walk in the light? What does it look like to be a follower of Jesus? And he says this, that light looks like wisdom. That light looks like wisdom. Now, how much do you hear in our broader culture, let's say outside the church today, people talking about wisdom? You hear that anywhere? Nowhere. I mean, maybe in a, you know, you might get your little pocket group where, like, you know, I saw this one. It's like for high schoolers, and it's supposed to help them kind of develop wisdom and leadership and so on and so forth. And, I mean, so you get those little bits here and there, but we're not talking, what we talk about today is about embracing our indulgences. I mean, that's really what we talk about today, broadly speaking. But he says it looks like wisdom. Now, I don't know whether you consider yourself a wise person or not. Or others would consider you a wise person. But he says that walking in light looks like wisdom. Meaning, what I don't mean is that you're walking in light and so you're going to look wise. What I mean is that 
wisdom is a part of being the light. That it's not an option. So he says the reality is walking in the light is going to look a lot like wisdom. Now the main exhortation here is this. With urgency, examine accurately every aspect of your life. With urgency, examine accurately every aspect of your life. If you look at verse 15 with me, he says this, Look carefully then how you walk. Look carefully then how you walk. Now again, Paul is continuing to draw out for us the implications of what it means to walk in a manner worthy of the calling we've received. What's it look like? And he's saying here, look carefully then how you walk. Now let me, let me insert this for just a second. Kind of a side thought here. This, again, this, this doesn't fit like, I mean it fits this text, but it's kind of the broader picture of what we're working through here. But let me encourage you with this. If your walking has not been growing in that it's reflecting more accurately the calling that we are talking about, that Paul is talking about, then I think you need to ask the question, have you actually received the calling? I know, that's a harsh thing to say. Because we all want to talk about being assured of our salvation. I want to be... I want to be happy and blissful in my salvation. But guys, salvation, again, we talk about this a lot as a church. Salvation is not just a one-time thing, even though our justification is a one-time thing, but salvation as a whole is a process where we're working this salvation out, as Paul talks about. And so the question is, are we increasingly, it's not about being perfect, it's about trajectory, are we living out this calling that we've been called to? But living in a manner worthy of this. So we need to ask the question often, and this is okay. We should not be afraid of this. If we believe in God's sovereignty, and we believe in His sovereign work through the Holy Spirit, then we shouldn't be afraid of asking the question when we see the reality of sin in our lives of, am I truly redeemed? Have I truly been called of God? And let the Spirit and the Word, and the body of Christ assure you. Don't just look for tags of self-righteousness that you can hang on the tree and claim, I'm redeemed. So what Paul says here, is he, when he says, look carefully then how you walk, let's just break this down real quick. <clears throat> Paul means literally this, watch carefully then how you walk. Carefully, let's talk about carefully for just a second. It means to do something accurately, precisely, or after close attention has been given. To look carefully, accurately. And then he gives this imperative. He says to look or to watch. When you put these two words together, there has this idea of, of important and it's urgent. Hence the exhortation that I gave you a few moments ago. With urgency, examine accurately. And when he says how you walk, what he means is every aspect of your life. Not just the external, 
but even maybe more importantly, the internal. What's going on inside? Look carefully how you walk. I just want to ask you, like, do you spend time regularly looking carefully how you walk? Or is that a Sunday morning thought that I give? Each day, regularly, daily, asking, looking carefully how I'm walking. Do you spend time after particularly when we think about relationships, spend time afterwards looking back and going, okay, how did I walk in that situation? How was my language? How was my demeanor? How did I care for the other person? Was I selfish or was I self-righteous or was I prideful or was I caring and, and, and humble? Looking carefully how we walk, examining things, not just am I staying away from these things that are declared you know, taboo or unrighteous in the church, but actually engaging my heart. So what Paul's going to give, he's going to say, so look carefully then how you walk. And what he's going to do is he's going to give us three contrasting patterns. And we're going to spend a week on each one. These three contrasting patterns of how you walk are this. Verse one is this, not as unwise, but as wise. That's where we're at today. Next week's going to be not foolish, but understanding the Lord's will. So we're going to kind of continue the wisdom idea to next week and talk about what is foolishness. So I'm not going to spend much time on foolishness, although obviously it is the opposite of what we are talking about this week. And then three, not drunk with wine, but filled by the Spirit. We're going to talk about what what does that look. For this week, we're simply going to talk about wisdom and walking in it. I want to make something explicit here before we move on to this idea of walking in wisdom. Walking in wisdom, first of all, is not an option. Like This is not a suggestion by the text. Paul's not saying, hey, you know what? Those of you who are in Christ, I think it would be a good idea if you'd get some wisdom. It's not an option. He's saying, walk in wisdom. Walk as those who are wise. As a matter of fact, if you don't understand that, don't walk as those who are unwise. I mean, he says it both ways to add emphasis to the importance of it. And I want you to understand, this is not a suggestion. It's an, not an option. Let me point out something else I think you'll see as we walk through this. That walking in wisdom is not something you can just wait on. That'll just happen to you. And in that same vein, walking in wisdom is not something that just happens to you with age. It's not something we just sit around and wait to kind of come upon us. This is something you must look carefully to do. That's what Paul's saying. Something you must work hard at with accuracy and urgency and precision. Something we go after, and something that's not an option. It's something we must look carefully to do. Again, I think part of the problem is is that we've made wisdom something that is exclusively age-related. And I think for many of us, we've made it mystical. It's just kind of like wisdom's kind of that thing that I kind of hope I get, and kind of ask God for, and kind of lay her head down the pillow, and kind of just magically hope it's going to come to me. 
you know, maybe a few more years of my life, or if I kind of go through a little more, uh, uh, you know, life stages, and, you know, and then the magically in three or four decades, I'll wake up and boom, I'm wise. Or something we can't grab a hold of. How do we, so how do we get it? And, and because we've made it mystical and, and not biblical, and then we just kind of sit around and hope that it happens. Or at best, as James says, we'll ask for it. Paul says here, to walk in wisdom. Paul says to walk in wisdom. Let me read to you what Martin Lloyd-Jones, if you know who Martin Lloyd-Jones is, he's a famous preacher in Britain. And he says this about this passage. He says, we are called to this. We're called to this. We cannot behave as lights. We cannot be true representatives of the Lord Jesus Christ. Unless we possess this wisdom and are manifesting it. And that's, that's a pretty bold statement. I happen to very much agree with him. We're called to this. And we can't do what we are called to do unless we possess this wisdom and are manifesting this wisdom. So here's what I want to give you. I want to give you three Items from this text that largely talk about how do we walk in wisdom? How do we get wisdom? And I'm going to kind of make that even a little more uh, explicit at the end. I want to give us kind of three items for how we walk in wisdom. The first one is this. To be wise, you must first be humble. To be wise, you must first be humble. To be wise, you must first be humble. Listen. This is like a precursor, right? Like a prerequisite, I should say. Like the, the second two points don't matter if you don't have the first one. So let me spend the next few moments trying to break your pride, and uh, I'm just half joking, and uh, we'll continue. Rusty talked last week. Rusty preached last past two weeks. And one of the things he talked about last week was that many of us don't talk the gospel to ourselves. And what I mean, I don't mean that in some weird mystical way. What I mean is, how do we, how do we lead our hearts to trust in the good news of Jesus Christ every day? Not in a way that we're on our own keeping our salvation, but in a way that's living out our salvation. There's my caveat. But how do we talk the gospel? How do we lead our hearts to repentance and faith every day is what I, what I really mean when we talk about how do we talk the gospel to ourselves. But, but we talked about last week about how many of us don't talk the gospel to ourselves because we don't think we need the gospel. And we don't think we need the work of Jesus Christ today. We thought that was something that we got over and done with years ago. And, and the reality is, is that, first of all, based upon the, the belief that we do need the gospel every day, the only explanation for not speaking the gospel to ourselves and reminding ourselves of the gospel and leaning on the gospel each and every day is because we don't think we need it. The same is true here. And many of us in this very room do not seek wisdom because we think we already have it. Or at least some sufficient measure of it. We think we got it. We're good. Let me give you a couple observations. 
we all tend to think of ourselves as wise. And we want others to think of us as wise. Now, now, now listen, if, if, you don't, if you don't agree with me, if you don't think that that's you, then just catalog real quick how many times you've sought wisdom in the past week, how many times, whether that's from other wise counsel or from the text, from the Holy Spirit, all the above. What's that looked like the past week? Or have you had it the past week? So here's what we do, though. We, we want others to think of us as wise. We want to think of ourselves as wise. And I think typically we want this for our glory. So here's what we do. Here's what we do. This is just a quick observation. I think we find some measure, well, what will happen is we'll find some measure of successful decisions in some area of our life. Maybe it's your job. You make good money. Maybe you're climbing a ladder. You, you're well-liked, or your boss likes you. You find some measure of success. You're, you're pretty uh, efficient at your job. You, you know what you're doing. People look to you. Find some, so, so there's kind of a declaration of, I've got some wisdom here. Let me give you another example. Or maybe it's with your money. Maybe you have plenty of it, or maybe you don't. Or maybe it appears that you're stewarding it well. But there's some level of success. Or maybe it's just simply efficiency in some other kind of topic that you love. And it's amazing what happens. It's amazing what happens. Here's what we'll do. You'll take what you perceive as wisdom in that area and magically jump to considering yourself Yoda of everything. Right? Like, all of a sudden, I'm an expert here, so that makes me an expert everywhere. Or I'm wise here, and so that makes me wise everywhere. I mean, isn't it amazing how that works? We kind of just convince ourselves that we're a sage. And again, I, I'm not saying that you walk around going, I'm this all-wise person. But how do your actions, what do your actions say? Do they say that you know you're not, and so you seek wisdom? Or do, the, do your actions say, no, I got it. I'm good. I've got it figured out. But look at this passage. Look at this passage. He says, look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. So we're going to go back a little bit earlier in that verse to look carefully then how you walk. What he's saying is this. Don't walk around thinking you know how to walk. Thinking that you have all the wisdom you need. Thinking that you got it all figured out. Don't be so confident in yourself. And Paul doesn't give an age caveat here. What, I mean, understand, the implication here, if he's telling you to look carefully how you walk, he's saying that you don't have it all figured out. That you don't got it. That you need wisdom. That you need to be careful that you don't walk as those who are unwise. He is saying that you must have a humility that recognizes your inability and therefore you need to pay careful attention. He's saying don't be so confident. I think a lot of us just walk around with this false confidence. that We've got to figure it out. That we know what kind of decisions we've got to make. And, and, and we, we know what to do. And he is saying you're needy. That your tendency is going to be to do something unwise. So be careful. Look carefully how you walk. 
Let me remind you of another passage that kind of goes along with this idea here. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. But here's the question, what is the fear of the Lord? What's the fear of the Lord? I mean, we talk about fear of the Lord is, is a respect, right? It's this healthy respect of the Father. It's not this like trembling fear in the sense that I'm a, afraid of Him. But it's this respect. Well, how, do you, how do you have that? How do you have this kind of respect that this fear of the Lord talks about? You have to recognize who you are in light of who God is. To recognize your creatureliness in light of His divinity. Right? That's how it's the disparage between the two that brings about this respect for Him. So think about it. If you already have all the knowledge, why would you need to fear God? You wouldn't. But fearing God is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom because in fear, you recognize who you are before a holy God. And that is a creature in desperate need for someone superior to you. This is humility. It's a humility before the Lord that brings about, or is the beginning, as Proverbs says here, of knowledge. And we're going to talk a little bit more through this, but if you're a humble, you will seek wisdom. If you're prideful, you'll assume you already have it. Now, I've yet to define seeking wisdom, so let me do that here very briefly. We will define this better in a bit. You will seek wisdom. You'll seek wisdom from the body. Yeah, I I mean the, the church that you're in covenant community with. You'll seek wisdom from the elders. And you'll seek wisdom from the scriptures. We'll define that a little bit more in a bit. Let me ask you this question here. Is there room in your daily rhythm for seeking wisdom? Or is the space all taken up by pride? Is there room in your daily rhythm for seeking wisdom? Or is the space all taken up by pride? He says, look carefully how you walk. That means give an examination. Don't assume that it's just all fine and dandy. Be careful. You need to think about this. You need to look carefully. You need to be humble about the reality of your brokenness and your neediness. Be careful. Look with urgency. Look carefully. Look accurately. You must be humble if you're going to... Going to be wise. Again, remember, this wisdom thing is not an option. So this humble thing is not an option. By extension and, of course, for other reasons as well. So the second thought here. So to be wise, you must be humble. To be wise, you must have knowledge, particularly of the gospel. You must have knowledge, particularly of the gospel. So let's talk through this. He says, not as unwise, but as wise. You're saying, Matt, where's that at in the text? I don't, I don't see that in 15. I don't see that in 16. That's right. Because there's a whole lot of verses prior to chapter 5, verse 15. The wisdom language, if you're going to understand, how do we interpret Scripture? How do we understand what Scripture's saying, right? Wisdom language often, particularly, needs to be defined from within its context. 
Meaning like wisdom can kind of look a little bit different ways and kind of be defined a, a little bit different depending on the context that it's in. But we need to understand what is he referring to when he says wisdom here in Ephesians 5. Wisdom language has already been used three times in Ephesians. So we're just going to look quickly at those examples. And this will give us the context of what does Paul mean by wise and unwise. So look at Ephesians 1 verse 8 through 9. It says, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. So here's the deal. God's intention is that those who believe in Christ should understand his plan of redemption, his redeeming plan, the mystery of his will. That's what he's referring to there. God's intention is, in all this wisdom and insight, that we would know this. And because, of, because this was his plan, he lavished upon us the knowledge of this mystery in all wisdom and insight. So see again, see this connection of wisdom and insight to the mystery of his will, his plan of redemption. Then go to Ephesians chapter 1, look a few verses later in verse 17. He says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of His great might. Here's what's happening in this short verse, or these couple verses here. Paul is asking God to impart the same spirit of wisdom and revelation for followers to understand more fully, more robustly, this mystery, and to live in light of it. Again, the mystery had already been made known in Christ, but here's what Paul's praying about, that they would understand the full significance of it, that they would grow in understanding the significance of the mystery. Last example, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. He says, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. You see, the manifold wisdom of God. This passage is talking about how God has worked to bring about this multiracial, multicultural community that is united as fellow members of the body of Christ. Again, go have to go back and read chapter 3 to see all that. But the divine wisdom that he's talking about here is God's wisdom is integrally related to the mystery. That they're combined, that they're, that they're part and parcel, the same thing. The mystery is shaped by God's divine wisdom. That God's plan of redemption is shaped by His wisdom. At the same time, God's divine wisdom is also reflected and revealed in this mystery, this redemption. So all I want you to see there is that Paul, when Paul's thinking about wisdom, he's thinking about this knowledge of, an understanding of, an application of the gospel. God's plan of redemption. This mystery. That's what's going on in Paul's mind. So if you're going to be wise in walking worthily of God's calling, then you must have knowledge of God and His calling. So if you're going to know how to walk worthily and how to walk in wisdom, you've got to know 
God's calling, and then you've got to know this God who has issued this calling, who has drawn you, has brought you into salvation. You must have, first of all, a knowledge of the gospel. You must have a knowledge of the gospel. Wait, listen. This is more than just knowing factually Jesus died on the cross to redeem me from my sins. Do you hear me? Knowing the gospel is more than just knowing that Jesus died on the cross to redeem me from my sins. It is certainly at least that and cannot be the gospel apart from that, but it is more than that. Guys, the reality is, is that many of us left the gospel back in the day we said some kind of sinner's prayer or walked some kind of church aisle or jumped into a baptistry somewhere. And that's where we left the gospel. The reality is we still need the gospel today. And the reality is this. None of us in this room fully get the gospel. Fully understand the good news of Jesus Christ. If you, even as a follower of Jesus Christ, don't care how many years you've been following God and been in Christ, you're just beginning to get the gospel. You see, the problem is, is if we think we get the gospel, meaning we understand it fully, We have no room for wisdom. There's no room left for wisdom. Here's some signs of someone who, quote, gets the gospel and has no room for wisdom. First of all, they claim they get the gospel. I get the gospel. No. Maybe beginning to get the gospel. Maybe beginning to understand its preciousness and significance. Here's another sign of someone who thinks they get the gospel and has no room for wisdom is they don't read their Bibles. Another sign, they don't receive rebuke or exhortation well. That's someone not getting the gospel. Here's another person who, another sign of someone who thinks they get the gospel but doesn't have any room for wisdom. What I'm, what I'm implying is they get the gospel but not really get the gospel is that they defend their self-righteous appearance. So you see, the unwise, listen, live as those who despise or have no true understanding of God's gracious purposes. And knowing the gospel means understanding its application to all of life. All of life. You see, salvation is not just a ticket, right? It's a transformation. It's not just a ticket to heaven. It's a lifelong journey of transformation. A necessary transformation. So knowing the gospel means growing and understanding its application to all of life. Let me give, let me give you an example. We talk about, all right, I've got a gospel. I've got to speak the gospel to myself. What do, what do we mean? 
So if we say this, we say this, this is how, this is how we tend to, to, to disciple Christians. Don't be selfish, right? So there's a law, don't be selfish. You shouldn't be selfish. Don't be selfish, don't, right? Or you go to your kids and say, hey, stop being selfish. Okay, have, here's a question. Have you actually helped that person? Maybe a hair. Hopefully you've at least shown them their depravity, if they know what that means. Like, show them that they need God, okay? So, I mean, the law is graciousness to us because it shows us, at the very least, our need for God. But you shouldn't be selfish. So the question is, why? Why shouldn't I be selfish? And I, I think you're beginning to get at the answer, and you say, well, God's not selfish, and we're made in His image. We're becoming like Christ. We're not selfish. Okay, I think we're getting that. I think that's, that's getting there. That's a lot better. Let me give you kind of three thoughts here, kind of in a crescendoing order. So you don't have to be so selfish. Why? Think about gospel here. First of all, because you've been set free from sin. That's sin. And because of the gospel, you've been set free from the bondage of slavery to sin. Right? So because of the gospel... So when I'm being selfish, I can remind myself that because of the good news of Jesus Christ, because of His work on the cross and the blood covering my life, I am set free. I'm not a slave to this. So what that means is that I can overcome this. I don't have to be this way. Right? So now I'm getting at the beginning. I'm talking the gospel to myself. Reminding myself of the good news of Jesus Christ. So in, in, again, in crescendoing fashion here, you don't have to be so selfish. Why? Because the Christ who lives inside of me was selfless as he went to the cross. The gospel. He gave of himself selflessly and he now resides in me. He abides in me and I abide in him. So I know this is not evidence of his work in me. This is evidence of my flesh. But again, let me take it up just a step here. You don't have to be so selfish. Why? If I'm talking to my son, if I'm talking to another brother or sister in Christ, why do you not have to be so selfish? If the person's redeemed, here is an incredible answer. Because in the gospel, you have been given freely by grace everything you need. Everything. Everything. So you know what that means? That you can stop looking out for yourself. That you can stop pursuing and defending your own self-interests. You don't have to fight for those things. You can give of yourself to other people freely because you have everything you need in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have everything. And when I say everything, obviously first and foremost redemption and inheritance from the Father. But he also is going to care for everything else that you need, right? He cares for the, the birds of the air, and he's going to care for you and me. Right? So we talk about talking the gospel. That's what I'm saying. We're going to talk about getting the gospel, understanding the gospel. It's not just understanding some theological facts, although those are important and necessary, but it's more than that. It's the application of those facts to life. You must get the gospel. You must know the gospel. You must have the knowledge of the gospel, meaning its application as well. 
This is what it means to understand the significance of the gospel. That's what Paul's praying for back in that passage that I referred to earlier about where he's praying that the Spirit would come upon them and, and increase this understanding. It's, it's this significance of the gospel that we need help with. It's significance, the gospel's significance for every sin beyond just simply a payment for it. See, for many of us, that's where we limit the gospel to. What's the substitutionary payment for my sin? It's more than that. You see, to, bring, to, to understand the gospel brings humility and desire for God. You see, this humility and this understanding of the gospel creates the environment within wisdom where wisdom can flourish, where wisdom can grow, where wisdom can be had. So, particularly in this knowledge of the gospel, but I also need to point out to this, must have knowledge of the God who has given the gospel. So it doesn't mean that I can just know the gospel and then the rest of the Bible is just kind of out there and I can go understand that whenever I want to. No, we must have knowledge of the God who has given the gospel. And for that, we turn to the rest of the scriptures. I mean, remember, this is the one who has called you. How can you walk in wisdom and knowledge of the one whom you do not know? And no one in this room knows him enough. I do not know him enough. So here's the deal. To be wise, you must have knowledge, and you need lots of it. You need humility, and you need knowledge, and lots of it, particularly of the gospel and of the God who has given the gospel. But here's the deal. Have you ever met a very, very knowledgeable person who seemed to lack all sorts of wisdom? Anybody? Anybody? Yeah? You can raise your hands. Yeah. They might even have some measure of success in particular areas of their lives. But they're not wise when it comes to walking in a manner worthy of the Lord or having wisdom in general. You see, that's because here's the issue. To be wise, you also must demonstrate an understanding of the knowledge that works itself out in practice. Do you hear that? You must have an understanding of the knowledge that works itself out in practice. Daily, moment by moment. I'm not going to spend a ton of time at this point. But he says, again, look carefully how you walk. Not as wise, but as wise. What's this walking thing? It's practice. Like it's the practice of. It's the implementation of. It's the daily, moment by moment, what you're doing, what you're thinking. It's the practice of this knowledge. That is wisdom. Wisdom. So the purpose of Paul's writing, understand, you got to step back with me for just a second. Paul's been talking about kind of this grand plan of God's redemption. Right? That's this mystery thing that we've been talking about so far. So when you think about this wisdom, you need to think about putting into practice this knowledge of God that, that impacts all of this 
part of God's plan. Meaning, here, let me put it very simply for you this. That this walking wise and not unwise has ramifications, particularly for our relationships in this context and for every aspect of our lives. Because God's redemption doesn't just stop at spiritual things. It, it is, is impactful on everything. So this wisdom is not just, I'm going to have some, some wisdom when it comes to church and relationships. That's what I'm talking about. We're talking about wisdom in everything. Because the gospel should be impacting everything. So walking in wisdom, and we talked about this, requires insight and understanding into God's will. You see, the contrast between wisdom and folly has its roots in Old Testament literature. I would encourage you to go back and do some looking at wisdom in the Old Testament. But according to the Proverbs... The way of wisdom that members of God's covenant community are to walk requires insight and understanding into God's will, His plan. And the last thing I would say is this. Walking in wisdom requires a skill in living out this understanding. If you're going to write down something underneath this, write that one down. Walking in wisdom requires a skill in living out this understanding. But you have to understand the significance of the knowledge. Again, this is not simply an intellectual knowledge, but also a skill in living. To be wise in this sense is to demonstrate a perception and understanding that works itself out in practice. Let me put it this way. This is really helpful. Wisdom is the ability to connect the dots. Anybody ever do those as a kid? Like you just start connecting the dots, going from number one to number two, number three, number four, number five. What happens if you connect the wrong dots? Like the picture, like at least going to look messed up in that area, right? But what happens after you connect all the dots, or as you connect all the dots, what do you start to see? A picture. As before, it just looks like a bunch of, uh, you know, humor me, if you will. It looks like a bunch of data points on a page, a bunch of, like a, uh, a graph. What was that? Yeah, scatter plot. Yes, exactly. And what is it showing us? All right, so you start connecting the dots. That's what wisdom is. Knowledge is like the dots up on the page. Wisdom is the ability to connect those dots to go. What is the picture telling me? How to, how, namely, how am I supposed to live? How am I supposed to act? What how am I supposed to respond? How am I supposed to think? Taking those data points, data points meaning data points from just things you observe in life and things you observe in your family, in your workplace, whatever, those are data points. Then knowledge of the word. What has God said? What has God said about himself? How does God think about this world? How does God think about me? What does God think about the gospel? What does God think about eternity? What does God think, how has, what does God think about holiness and righteousness? And all these, uh, those are all data points. And wisdom is the ability to connect those things. To see what the picture is. Let me give you an example. We would all believe that, at least those who are followers of Christ, that treasuring Jesus is a good thing, right? We all, like, we're going to believe treasuring Christ is a good thing. How about this? I want my kids or future kids or my younger kids, now that they're grown, I want them to treasure Jesus, right? That's probably a good thing. We want that. So, those are, the, those are a couple of the dots. And my conclusion is, is that means I can let other things take priority 
over my walk with Jesus, my study in the Word, maybe commitments to the body, you know, and, and, and that'll help my kids treasure Jesus, right? Is, is that the case? That's not the case. What, what dots are we connecting? Like, no, no, it doesn't work that way. And listen, I'm not trying to be legalistic. I'm just talking about wisdom. This is why, you, if you've been around me long enough, this is why I like to say, a lot of us like, are trying to get to the number five, but we keep adding two plus two, and we keep wondering why we're not getting five. Or we keep adding two plus two, hoping that someday we'll get to five. It doesn't ever get to five, and it'll never get to five. We had two plus three, or four plus one, or two and a half plus two and a half. Right? I mean, keep going. There's, 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 there's different ways to add that, but, but you're not going to get to five. If you're drawing the dots, the picture's going to look a certain way. I want you, again, look at your life this past week. What dots are you connecting in the wrong direction, in the wrong way? You're paint, maybe painting the wrong picture. This is where we need Wisdom. We need God to help us connect those dots and help us to see rightly the picture that we're drawing. Man, kids have been one of the greatest gifts in my life. You know why? Because I'm looking at them going, what are they thinking about my actions? What are, here more importantly, what are they going to think about God from the actions that I display? whether that's my tone of voice or giving them a punishment or loving on them and giving them a hug and a kiss. What is it going to tell them? What, what dots am I connecting in their minds for them, right? What data points am I putting on their chart for them? So, the question is this. How do I grow in this? Hopefully you're humbled. Hopefully you're looking at this going, oh my goodness, I haven't thought about wisdom that way. How do I grow in this? Like, I need help. Hopefully that's you right now. And if, if you've paid attention, that should be you right now. How do I grow in this? How do we gain wisdom? We're going to take verse 16 this making the best use of the time because days are evil. And we're going to work through that next week. This week, how do we gain wisdom? Let me give you three thoughts here in closing. How do we gain wisdom? First one is this. We make room for wisdom through humility and having an appropriate estimation of ourselves. You want to know what I mean? An appropriate estimation of yourself. Go read Romans 12. Make room for wisdom through humility. Ask God to humble you. It will not be a fun experience, but it will be good for you. Two, seek knowledge and understanding of God and particularly His gospel. Seek knowledge and understanding of God and particularly of his gospel. Listen, church, 
Repentance is a part of the gospel, right? It's a part of the good news of Jesus, that he would come and set you free and bring your heart to repentance. If you look at the old covenant, it wasn't perfection that kept God's people in the covenant. That's why he provided a means of reconciliation. It was God's enabling of their repentance that kept them in the covenant. It was God's work, yes, but it was God's work through repentance and faith. Faith that God would forgive them and so they would go repent and then believe that God was their God. Like this was repentance. I say all that to say is this. I was reading, again, I was reading this booklet by Sinclair Ferguson last night on repentance. And I grew in knowledge of repentance last night. I gotta thank God I'm sitting on my patio with my wife and she's reading something and, and, I, and I'm reading this book and, and like, like it grew in repentance. And I'm like, thank God for this. Thank God for this. My point is this. Grow in the knowledge of the gospel. There's still room for you to grow in that. Number three is this. And I'm gonna spend a little bit more time on this and then we'll close. How do we gain wisdom? Keep your pens ready, okay? But I gotta say this, okay? As I was studying through this humble, I'm like, okay, that's pretty easy. Ask God to make you humble. And he would do that pretty well. Study God and see who you are in light of God. That'll make you humble. Look at your sin. That should make you humble. And then two, I'm like, okay, that's pretty easy. I get to two, I'm like, how do you grow in knowledge? Okay, that's pretty easy. You study the scriptures. Make observations. Study the scriptures, study the scriptures, study the scriptures. Okay, got that one. That's pretty easy. And then I get to the third one. I'm going, how do I help God's people? And it, and it says that you have to grow in the practice, like demonstrate this ability, that wisdom is this ability to put into practice this knowledge. And I go, how do you help people do that? And I just walked away from the text going, I don't know. I just don't know. Like that was my initial thought. How do you help people connect the dots short of doing it for them? Like how do you do that? And God was very kind to me. Proverbs 13, 20 says this. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. But the companion of fools will suffer harm. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. So the third point would be this. Is walk with the only true wise one. Walk with the only true wise one. Walk with Christ. Walk with Jesus. Walk with Him. Walk with Him. Like get up in the morning and walk with Jesus. Commune with Him. Talk to Him. Ask Him. And if you're like, I, 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 I want to do that, but I, I don't say, help, ask him to help you do that. Like, ask, walk with Jesus. Here's some subpoints to that. Know him through and through, as he is the exact representation of God, right? Colossians. Guys, know him, and you will know yourself. I'm not saying because you're a God. I'm saying you'll begin to see rightly who you are in light of who He is and the one who you should be abiding in and Him abiding in you. Kind of a third little subpoint to walk with Christ. Know Him and you'll begin to understand life. 
know him. Again, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. So here's the question, though. Because again, if I just say, go walk with Jesus, what does that mean? What does it mean for me to walk with Jesus? How do I practically walk with him? I give you three pieces, and here we go. Walk with the body. That's why we as a church practice covenant community. We're saying that, all we're saying is that we're committed to each other. We're committed to helping each other walk with Christ. And we want to bring other people into that community where there's trust and reconciliation and forgiveness and brokenness, where we all are needy, needing the gospel. But I would say practically as you do that, as you walk with the body, look around and see who is connecting the gospel to life. Walk around and see who is connecting the gospel. Not just walk around and see who's successful or who happens to have a pretty life. That's what I'm saying. I say, if anything, walk around and see who knows their brokenness and is embracing the gospel and seeking to live the gospel out each day. Watch that. Watch that. And if it lines up with the scriptures, do it. Mimic it. Imitate it. Let me kind of carry that thought into this next one. Walk with your elders. Yes, this seems self-glorifying. I don't intend it to be that way. Walk with your elders. Walk with your pastors. Hebrews 13, 7. He says this, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and what? Imitate their faith. What's he saying? Here's what he's saying. Notice what the author is doing here in Hebrews. See this, those who spoke the word of God to you? What's he talking about? Knowledge of the word. Knowledge of the word. He's certainly implying knowledge of the gospel. Because they spoke it to you. And then, notice what he says at there at the end. Imitate their faith. Their faith, right? Their faith. What is, so notice their faith in this what? Faith in this knowledge. Knowledge given by God. So notice their faith. What is this faith? It's trust in the knowledge, not in pride. Not that, not that they're perfect, but he's saying, watch these things. So knowledge of the word and their hum, humble faithfulness in it. And he says, notice what else? Their way of life. So remember those leaders, those who spoke the word of God, consider the outcome of what? Their way of life. What is their way of life? What is that? It's the putting into practice the knowledge of God and the gospel. That's what he's saying. It's the wisdom piece. It's the taking the gospel and living that out in life. It's the how we practice and live the gospel. It's referring to how they connect the gospel to everyday life. It's how they take the knowledge that they love and cherish and put it into practice. I would also encourage you to notice that whoever wrote Hebrews is not making a suggestion here. He's making an imperative. And understand that this other implication of this is that we all need this. That's why we as a church have a plurality of elders it's because I need an elder to look to, to examine his way of life and see his connecting the word to life and to imitate his faith. 
We all need this. The last thing, so walk with the body, walk with your elders. Certainly in all of this, walk with the Word and the Spirit. Walk with the Word and the Spirit. If I haven't stepped on your toes, let me step on them here. If you are not in the Word regularly, then you are prideful and foolish. Okay? You need to be in the Word regularly. I'm not going to define what that is. Ten minutes a day? Ten hours a day? I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. It just tells us we need the Word for it's, it is a, our bread of life. Why? Because we need God, and the Scriptures reveal God. So if we're not in the word regularly, then we are prideful and we are foolish. This has characterized many days and weeks and months and even years of my own life, for which I regret because the days are evil and I should have spent my time much more wisely. Let me give you an illustration and we'll close with this. I'm, by God's grace, used to being in the word, studying the word, Hours a week. Right? I'm just so thankful for that. Not, to prepare this sermon, I don't know, 10, 15 hours. I've, I have certain days that are kind of laid out for sermon prepping and such, and sometimes as much as 20 hours. Like, that's a wonderful gift to me. It's a gift to my family. It's a gift to you guys. It's one of the, one of the gifts of your tithing is that it frees me to not have to, and Rusty for that matter, to not have to have a, a job outside the church so that we can spend time in the Word and then come give you the distillation of that or the, the distilling of the Word and, and to encourage your hearts and souls. Because you don't have that much time throughout the week. And God's not called you to that, and that's okay. But He's still called you to know the Word. So I'm used to this. I'm used to this. I'm so blessed to be able to do this. However, over vacation, as you guys know, I was out of the office for about a week and a half, and I didn't have a sermon to prepare. And, and for me, my sermons and my sermon prepping is very devotional. I, just very, uh, I try to be very intentional about it, that it's not academic, but it's very devotional, and that, that I'm seeking the Lord and His changing and sanctification in my own life as I study the Scriptures. Like, I don't study the Scriptures just for you guys. I study the Scriptures for me. And the Lord willing, out of the overflow of that, for you guys. However, over vacation, I was not, didn't have a sermon to prepare, and, you know, and <clears throat> so I wasn't in the Word anywhere near as much as I am used to. And when I got to last Sunday, I felt for the first time in a long time what I'm afraid many of you must feel regularly, and that is spiritually weak. My heart was weak. My affections for the Lord were weak. And honestly, like I, like I wasn't scared in an ultimate sense, but I was like, oh my gosh. Like I'm on my way to church, and this is what's going through my mind. By God's grace, uh, one of the songs we sang last week, and so I, happen, I try to listen to the songs we're going to sing in service on the way to service to prepare my heart for service, and so the song I was listening to was, Lord, I Need You, uh, as sung by Shane and Shane, and, and Lord, I need you, oh, I need you every hour, I need you, and God just kindly spoke to me and just reminded me of, of my son, this is why you need the word, 
This is why you need to spend time in communion with me and my word because this is your life. This is the bread of your life. I felt like I had nothing of the gospel to give away because I was too busy soaking it all up for myself. I felt physically rested and spiritually anemic. I didn't feel wise. I felt unwise. Now, I'm not saying that I did anything wrong and that I should have put 20 hours into the Scriptures over the course of two weeks. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that what my soul needed, I did not give to it over that time. And your soul is no different. So we're going to, how do we walk with Christ, the one who is wise? We walk with the body, we walk with our elders, and we walk with the Word and the Spirit. You know, James tells us this, to ask God for wisdom and He will give it. Right? And that's a good verse. I remember praying that verse as a high schooler. Asking God to give me wisdom. Here's how He gives it. Here's how God gives wisdom. By you humbling yourself, I mean God humbling you, but right, our responsibility to humble ourselves seeking knowledge of God, the divine, and His Son and Holy Spirit, and walking with the wise. That's the beauty of the gospel, though. It's the beauty of the gospel. We are awakened to the beauty of the wisdom of God in the good news of Jesus Christ. His wisdom is showcased for us to look at and marvel at and respond to and walk with. We see His wisdom revealed in this mystery of the Gospel. Also in the Gospel, we are set free from the short-sighted, supposed wisdom of this world where we look for today and maybe tomorrow and that's it. God in the Gospel sets us free to look to eternity. To make decisions for eternity. And thirdly, we are set free to walk with the perfect expression of God's wisdom. Jesus Christ. We're set free to do that in the gospel. We walk with Jesus as we walk with the body, our elders, the Word, and the Spirit. And listen, it's not something that just happens. It doesn't just come with age. And it isn't something that's just mystical and we just kind of hope for. It is something we work towards. It's something by the power of the Spirit and dependence on the gospel that we work hard towards, that we seek after, we ask God to give. Amen? Amen. I want to pray for us. We'll sing a couple songs in response and we'll be done for the day. Father, thank you for, thank you for revealing to us your wisdom through the gospel of your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, that you would marvelously and carefully and tactfully and with eternity in mind and your glory, your own glory at the forefront of your intentions, that you would set forth this plan to redeem a broken people like us. That you would redeem a broken people like us. That you would give us hope but not hope in ourselves, not hope in the world, not hope in the government, not hope in the school systems, not hope anywhere else, but hope only in your Son, Jesus Christ. 
that through him, through walking with him, we would both know who you are, Father, and who your son is, and that, Father, we would then grow in wisdom as we walk with you in these very practical ways. And Father, we pray and we know that ultimately you are the one who gives wisdom. You're ultimately the one who must grant it. And so even in all of our efforts, we must humbly say, Father, please give us wisdom. Father, we pray this for your glory's sake. In Jesus' name, amen.